turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm so glad to be out from under the law and condemnation. Now, in the first service I said this, we preach the grace of God. We preach the finished work of Jesus Christ. The work is finished. He completed the requirements that were needed for us to be accepted by God. And all of the judgment of God that was intended for us, Jesus absorbed all of, his, all of God's anger and judgment. And he legally redeemed us at the cross. There is no more judgment nor anger left for those who put their faith in Jesus. Amen. All your sins have been forgiven. Not only the sins you have committed, not only the sins that you may commit now, but the sins that you will commit, not on purpose. No, you know, grace doesn't make you sloppy. It makes you appreciative. But uh, you're forgiven. All of your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven already. You were born forgiven. Because Jesus died a long time before you ever were born. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Uh, now, I'm not against the law, the Ten Commandments. I'm not opposed to them. They are right. The law is holy. The Ten Commandments are right. And the Ten Commandments are good. Paul said that in Romans chapter 7. The law is right. The law is holy. And the law is good. But the law cannot make you holy. And the law, the ten, try, you trying to keep the Ten Commandments cannot make you good. And cannot make you right. So I'm not against the law. I'm against legalism. You trying to keep the law. The law of Moses was not designed to make you righteous. It was designed to show you how unrighteous you are. The law, if you, you start preaching the Ten Commandments, it ought to frustrate you to the point you start looking for help. The law leads you to Jesus. Once you've found Jesus, you don't need the training wheels anymore. Because you have the one who fulfilled the law living in you. Amen. Hallelujah. And what happens is most Christians, the reason they're confused and defeated, don't know how to win anybody to the Lord, is because they're confused. Because most believers, if you talk to them, they quote more Old Testament scriptures than they do New Testament. You ever notice that? Believers, a lot of them, they can quote more of the, what Jesus said in the Gospels to the Jews than what Paul, Peter, James, and John said to the church. You understand that in the, even though the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are in the New Testament side of the Bible, everything Jesus said was not New Testament. And that's where you've got to learn to rightly divide the word. For example, Jesus says, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. Well, I don't see any one-eyed Christians in here. We'd all be like, hey, matey, arr. I'm hooked on Jesus. Yeah. He said if you're right <laughs> He said if you're right <laughs> He said if your right hand offends you, cut it off. But the ridiculous part of that is what happens after you cut your right hand off and your left hand offends you? How are you gonna cut it off? You don't have a right hand to cut it off with. That's what Jesus was trying to say to these Pharisees. It's impossible to keep the law. Jesus, not only in those Beatitudes, he was trying to elevate the law of Moses to such a level that those Pharisees would say, that is impossible. And that's what Jesus would have said, that's why I'm here. But yet we've got pastors preaching the Beatitudes to Christians every Sunday. Not rightly dividing the word of truth. See, Jesus not only 
He said, not only is the act of adultery, will that send you to hell. But he said, just the heart, just if you think, think about that woman wrong in your heart, if you undress her in your mind, you're going to hell. Now he's taking it beyond a physical act to attitudes, heart attitudes. He's raised it all to the point of it's not just what you physically do, but it's the attitude behind it. He wanted the Pharisees to say, that is impossible. Let me tell you about grace and gospel preachers, and I am one. We have more respect for the law of Moses than the legalistic preachers because legalistic preachers just pick out the laws that they think they can keep. I'm smart enough to know that the law of Moses is so hard to keep, don't even try. Why don't you just go find the Savior? Grace preachers have more respect for the Ten Commandments than law preachers because law preachers pick and choose. The Bible says if you offend one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. So if you even thought about lying, you're a lying, stealing, adulterating cheater. Because you violated at one point, so you're guilty of the whole thing. Well, I can't do that. The law of Moses was in the earth to teach human beings you can't keep them. You need a Savior. Who else found a Savior? And now he's living in us. Jesus himself, the Spirit of God is living in us. See, the grace of God is his supernatural presence in your heart, changing your heart motives. The grace of God is not freedom to sin. It's freedom from it. It's the supernatural ability. When you start getting a hold of the forgiveness of God, the love of God, and the grace of God, sin just loses its flavor. Amen. Why would I want to get drunk when I can be drunk on the Holy Ghost. Why would I want Budweiser when I can have Godweiser? Why would I want a headache when I can have a renewed mind? Amen. Hallelujah. Why would I want to snort snow when I can be washed whiter than snow? And still have my money in my pocket. Now, I don't, know, I don't know, I've never been a cocaine addict, but it's rough to come off, I'm sure, a cocaine high and have no money to buy food when you got munchies the next morning. And then you got to face how you're going to feed your children, how you're going to feed your wife. Then they're going to come take your car, take your TV, take your stereo, take, it, take your dog, take your cat, and even take the fishing worms out of your yard because you wanted to do a line of coke. And not only that, now you ain't got no lining in your nose. So even if you smell good cooking, you couldn't smell it if it was in your nose. You done destroyed your sense of smell, so you can't even enjoy a good old brown beans and cornbread coming in the house. You walk in, and everybody else's mouth's watering because you're enjoying the smell of good cooking. You're going, what? 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 See, addictions keep you half dead on your way to hell. But the love and grace and power of God makes you fully alive on your way to heaven. Fully alive. There was a time when I was in sin, I was just physically alive but spiritually dead. I was half dead. On my way to hell and half dead. But thank God. He said, I came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through me might have life. You're not living until you got the liver on the inside of you. Hallelujah. 
Look at somebody and say, I'm living. See, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, it says, don't be drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, really what the Holy Spirit was saying, what Paul was saying is, don't be drunk on natural wine, stay full and drunk on new wine. The wine of the Holy Ghost. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha. We better not go there or you'll be carrying me out of church. We've had moves of the Holy Spirit. We've had, we've had divine visitations of the Lord. The joy of God flooding up out of our born-again spirits to the point you literally stagger around like a drunk person laughing. You'd have to see it. It scares religious people. They, they go for the doors. We had one witch when the Holy Ghost moved and the spirit of joy and laughter came on the church. We were laughing. I mean laughing, laying in the floor laughing. I said, what are you laughing at? That made you laugh. Just tell him asking you made you laugh. I'll tell you what I'm laughing at. Satan had me bound. But Jesus set me free. And I'm on my way to heaven. And I remember, you know, back in the 90s, and, and this, this can happen even now, uh, this manifestation of joy, the spirit of joy come on a church. And uh, we literally had to have designated drivers because people were so overcome by the love of God, the joy of God, laughing and crying and getting set free on the inside. They'd stagger around, and uh, we'd have to get designated drivers to get them home. We've had to take them out in wheelchairs. That anointing will get down in your legs where you can't even hardly walk. I've laid hands on people. The anointing come into manifestation. And that anointing, that, that divine presence, that healing presence, it just seems to settle down in my legs. That's why a lot of times he's behind me because when you're falling, I may fall too. Amen. Because what's flowing to you is flowing through me. You ever grab a live wire? Some people come up just, just ready. I mean, their heart's wide open. Yeah, Lord, I'm ready. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And they come up, and it's like grabbing a live wire, man. It likes to just knock the, it just, boom, it's there. It flows through you like a river. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They're blessed. I'm blessed. Joel's blessed. Hallelujah. Amen. And, uh, you know, of course, religious people, they don't like a move of the Spirit. They call it ex excess. They call it emotionalism. Well, the last time I read, joy was an emotion. The Holy Ghost causes joy. Emotion. Hallelujah. In fact, there will be no motion until you have emotion. What is emotion? You get it on the internet. Hallelujah. Now, <laughs> did I tell you to turn somewhere? I got lost over here preaching about that. Did you read that? Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Not your joy. Hallelujah. If you get around Katrina, you'll get a contact buzz this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. See, see, now, some of you that are new to this, there is a move of the Spirit that's more than just on paper. Where people get overcome by the presence of God. And if you've got any religion in you, you better just hold on tight. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. You know what? God never wanted you to stop being addicted. He just wanted you to change what you were addicted to. 
You know why people are addicted? Because they were created to be addicted. But the problem is we've put other things in the place of God. But if you were full and hooked on Jesus and full of joy and drunk in the Holy Ghost and feeding and drinking on his goodness, you'd run around with a half-drunk grin on your face. People say, hey, what have you been doing? Say, I've been reading my Bible. What else is in that Bible? Say, so you've been down to the last national bank? No, I've been down to Joel's place. Yeah. What's Joel's place? Oh, I feel a preach coming. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, they were all in the upper room. All those disciples that had seen Jesus die and rise from the dead, in the upper room, praying in one accord. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound, a mighty rushing wind. And it filled all the place where they were sitting. Hallelujah. And tongues of fire sat upon each of them. And they were all filled. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And some of the spectators started looking at that and mocking it. Making fun of it. And saying, we've never seen anything like it. What's wrong with these people? And some of the spectators, the Jewish onlookers, even said, these men, it's nine in the morning, and they're drunk. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. I don't know. Now, I went to college a little bit. I know what drunk looks like. <laughs> and drunk does not look like this. Oh, Father. <laughs> Anybody been around a drunk man? First of all, he wouldn't be stable enough to even stand like that. He, it says these men are drunk. Well, you, they weren't just praying or shouting hallelujah. They were staggering around under that glorious joy, that glorious Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Ghost. Peter stood up and said, hey, hey, men. He said, wait a minute. These men are not drunk like you suppose. He didn't say they weren't. He just said, not like you suppose. Go over to Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 6. I'm down to verse 15 already. Hallelujah. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. Noise. Everybody say noise. noise. When the Holy Ghost moves, a lot of times it's noise. When this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They're speaking with tongues, but every different nationality heard it in their dialect. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Galileans were known as the dumb people. <laughs> the uneducated people. Said, how are they speaking in all these Italian and French and German? And how are they speaking? They're Galilee. They're just blue-collar fishermen. And they're speaking fluently in Italian. Let me tell you, the Holy Ghost can empower you to do things. You couldn't, it'd take you 450 years in college to figure that out. 
Verse 8, and how do we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. See, if I read that faster, I will be praying in the Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a church I grew up in a church that they taught us I have the joy of love of Jesus down in my heart you know down in my heart down in my heart I have the joy of joy joy down in my heart down in my heart to stay then we got to the third verse I've got the peace that passeth understanding down in my heart down in my heart I know it was Presbyterians trying to get us to speak with tongues I have the piece of passive understanding down in my heart. <laughs> Verse 10. <laughs> Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Serene, strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes. Verse 11. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. What it is, they're speaking supernaturally in the prayer language of other tongues. But all those nationalities are hearing it in their language. What a miracle. Verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? You know, when the Holy Ghost begins to move like this, because Acts chapter 2 is still available today, God still moves that way today. This is not a history lesson. This is a handbook. Amen. So they, they said, What is this? What does this mean? Amen. Verse 13. Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Now you can only be accused of that if you're acting like a drunk person. Verse, what verse? But Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice. Now this is the dude that said he would never deny Jesus. And the Lord said, Peter, by the time the cock crows three times, you'll have denied me. Peter said, no, no, if you got to be crucified, I will be too. Well, Jesus is being crucified, and Peter, because he's not born of God and doesn't have the Holy Ghost in him. Amen. Here's a little girl says, don't you belong to that Jesus crowd, that guy in there being beat up? Don't you, aren't you one of those guys? And he cussed. He said, I don't know him. Never saw him in my life. Don't even know him. He was afraid to testify about Jesus to a 16-year-old little girl. Now, in front of all these religious people, now that he's born again and full of the Holy Ghost, he stands up. What a different man. The Holy Ghost will make you bold. Standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Verse 15. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's just the third hour of the day. Verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Hallelujah. Next verse. And it, here's what Joel said in the, in the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Hallelujah. That's me and you. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I mean, speak supernaturally by the spirit of God. And your young men shall see visions. Hallelujah. That's supernatural. And your old men shall dream dreams. Glory to God. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out this, this day now. I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Verse 19. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Next verse. 
And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Next verse. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we are beginning to see things shake in our world like they've never been shaken before. We're seeing an economic system that's not built on God crumble beneath our feet. I know they're talking about a recovering economy, but it, it, it's, it's sick because it's not based on God. And we see world leaders meeting, G20, G8, G whatever, meeting, trying to figure out how to solve this problem, this economic catastrophe. And they're, they're doing all they can. But the world system is falling apart, amen? And things in the world are not going to get better. But there is a power in the earth, yes, in the body yes, of Christ, yes, yes. in the church, yes. the power of the Holy Ghost, people that have been filled with the Holy Ghost, hallelujah. And there'll be signs in the earth beneath, glory to God, the preaching of the blood of Jesus, hallelujah, amen. And those that will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the crazier it gets in the world, the more you're going to see the gospel go forth, people calling on the name of Jesus because they're realizing their 401K is not their savior, their doctor can't heal them. Their lawyer can't get them out of that mess. And they're going to come to the one that can heal them, provide for them, and defend them. He's our mighty advocate. He's our lawyer. He's our great physician. He's the God on whom we trust. Glory to God. He is a high tower. Those who trust in the name of the Lord shall not run in fear. They shall run into the name of the Lord and not be afraid. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And he will say of the Lord, He is my fortress, my rock, my God in whom I will trust. I don't know about you, but as the world loses its Savior in money, its lawyers and its doctors, we have found the Savior. And we have the answer. Glory to God. And we're forgiven of our sins. Glory to God. And we stand righteous before God. Hallelujah. And we are kings and priests unto our God. We've been washed by the blood from our sins. We stand as more than conquerors in this last hour and this last day. We are blessed and not cursed. We are well and not sick. We are above and not beneath. And they were all with one accord in the upper room and the Spirit of God came upon them, sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Man, I sense something going on in here. Spirit of God's upon us. The Spirit of God, you sense Him? The Spirit of God, He's confirming His Word. You're nobody normal. You're nobody common. Don't you ever let anybody call you common. You're washed in the blood. You've been redeemed by the eternal blood of the Lamb of God. He was willing to pay the ultimate price for you. You are special. You are set apart. You are sanctified by the blood. Sons and daughters of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. you got direct access, access to the Father God. He said, seeing that we have a great high priest that has passed through the heavens, right up through the devil's territory he went. After the resurrection, he took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave from Satan. And he broke out of that grave and he ascended through a demon-infested heaven right back up to the throne of God. Seeing that we have a great high priest that has victoriously passed through the heavens, let us draw near to God with a full heart of assurance. Hallelujah. And find grace to help in a time of need. Let us come to the throne of grace. Yeah. 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 
The throne of God is not a throne of rejection. It's not a throne of judgment. God's not criticizing you. God's not looking into you to find sin. He's looking into you and seeing Jesus, seeing the blood. The throne of God is no longer a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. Can you just lift your hands to the throne of grace and thank him? We have an open heaven before us. I said you've got an open heaven. His ear is open to your prayers. Hallelujah. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. He's our teacher. He's the revealer. He's the guide. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not God's laws and writings are not on tables of stone now, but they're written on fleshy tables of the heart. Listen, you are God's epistle. People can read you. Like an epistle, a love letter from God, look at you and see the love of God. They see you go through things and come out of them. They see things that should have killed you and you come out of them. They see things that should have destroyed you financially and you come out of them. And they say, what is up with you? Read the book, baby. I'm loved by God. Read the book. If you don't want to read the Bible, read this. I'm loved. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. And by the blood of Jesus, if you'll accept him, so are you. You're an epistle of God. Hallelujah. You're an open book. Hallelujah. Why? Because the Spirit of God has chosen not to write some external rules on stone. He's now chosen by the Spirit of God to write His righteousness, His goodness inside of you. So that's why the new covenant is called the covenant of the Spirit. Because it's the work of the Holy Ghost. He goes on to say, and such trust we have through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Let me tell you something. When you get a hold of the grace of God, you lose your bragging rights. It's not about, oh, glory to God. It's not about how long I prayed. It's not about how holy I lived this week. It's not about how many chapters I read during the week. It's not about performing anything to get God's attention. God already, I've already got his attention 2,000 years ago through Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. We're not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. But our sufficiency is of God, who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, the new agreement, the new will. Not of the letter, not the Ten Commandments, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I'm just going to repeat what he said, so don't get mad at me, you get mad at Paul. The Ten Commandments kill, but the Spirit of God gives life. The Jewish day of Pentecost is the day that Moses came down off the mount with the Ten Commandments. That's 50 days after they crossed the Red Sea. 50 days, Pentecost. The old covenant Pentecost, when he came down off the mountain, 3,000 died. 
but the church Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, when not the law was given, but the Spirit of God was given, Peter preached and 3,000 were saved. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I'm not preaching the killing law. I'm preaching the liberty of the Spirit of God. Something on the inside. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Wanda's preaching about. Something on the inside is working on the outside. Religion works from the outside in, but grace works from the inside out. Somebody asks you tomorrow how you're doing, saying, I'm alive, man, I'm alive. I'm living. Praise God. So now, so your heart then goes out to, uh, to people who don't know what's available to them. They're bound by alcohol, bound by heroin, bound by cocaine, bound by sexual things, bound, bound by anger, bound by abuses, children, and anger, and, and they're bound. But they don't know what's available to them. Some of you think that God allowed those things. Wasn't that Easter service awesome? I cried all day. I kept seeing that guy with that spike and that nail. Jesus held him up. I mean, the guy just crucified him, and Jesus held him up. My goodness, what a love. Would you put your kids through harm and pain to teach them? And Would you make them sick and full of disease to teach them patience? Well, how much more would your heavenly father not put sickness and cancer and disease on you? That's not how he teaches you patience. That's not how he teaches you things. He doesn't put sickness on his children. See, we, we, we brag that we're better parents than God. He's a good God. He's a good God. But if the ministration of death, the Ten Commandments is a ministration of death, Written and engraven on stones. That's Ten Commandments, right? If it was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. It's a temporary glory. The law and legalism only have a temporary glory. How shall not, listen, people, churches, and preachers that are preaching the law and, and condemning you about your behavior and telling you you've got to do more to measure up, their ministry has only a temporary glory. A fading glory. Then they got to start propping up it up with programs and stuff and buildings and all that nonsense. I would rather preach something that has an eternal glory. Then I don't have to prop up something. Glory to God. See, what the reason we don't need revivals in this church is we ain't dying. Revivals smell of religion. Revive is the Latin word for revive, to re-life, to put life in again. Jesus said, I came to... He said, I came to give you life. And life more abundantly. And I don't need your quartet to prop that up. Thank you. We don't need to be revived. We're revived. We should be reviving the spiritually dead. See, that's a bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. All it is. Playing church games. Trying to prop up something that's dead. You know, dead things stink after a while. 
Amen. I've been, I grew up in revival churches. I'm getting on somebody's religion right now. I know I am. I never hurt in so many places as a kid in my life. We'd sit through those long seven-day revivals trying to make something happen. Oh, Lord. And you know what? We were just as mean and defeated and negative the next Sunday after that revival as we were before the revival, except we were tarder, poorer, broker, and more irritated. Now, I don't know what kind of revival churches you grew up in. Now, there's nothing wrong with coming together. There's nothing wrong with coming extended meetings to, to, to learn and bring teachers and preachers and prophets and, and learn and grow. But to have a revival uh, leaves the impression that somewhere you died. The gospel will stand on its own. How, verse 8, if, if the old covenant had a fading glory, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be even more glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glorious, much more does the ministry of righteousness exceed in glory. The gospel is a ministry of righteousness. The Old Testament is a ministry of condemnation. Preachers need to figure out what side of the book they're supposed to preach out of. Thank you for those seven amens. I am not a preacher of the law of Moses. I'm a preacher of the finished work. I'm a preacher of Jesus Christ. I'm a preacher of the blood of Jesus. I'm a preacher that we've been redeemed. Hallelujah. I'm a preacher that there's no sin that you've sinned that the blood of Jesus can't cleanse. I'm here to tell you, I don't care how low you've gone. I don't care how bad you've done. There is a blood that has cleansed you of your, your guilt and your shame. You do not have to walk out of here a condemned sinner. You can walk out of here a blood-washed saint. By simply believing that Jesus died for your sins and accepting him, it'll take the hell out of you. I'm not cussing. I'm telling the truth. It'll get that out of you. It'll put heaven on the inside of you. You know why I'm going to heaven? Because I got a piece of heaven in me already. Glory to God. Thank God for the Holy Ghost says, for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. He said the new covenant it is so brilliant in its glory as it ministers righteousness to a lost world that it's so brilliant that the old covenant had no glory at all because that was so bright it made this look dark. Have you ever been out in the sun uh, and snow? Have you ever been out in the snow on a sunny day? They call it snow blind, right? And your, your, your eyes are so dazzled by that snow, and you go inside, and all the lights are on, but it looks dark. Let me tell you what. The snow of grace has fallen on the earth. And once your eyes have been dazzled by the, the Spirit of God and dazzled by the ministry of righteousness, you walk into a church where they're preaching the law of Moses, and you're going, dark in here. I, I'm, I'm snow blind. You know what you are? You're a grace blind. The new covenant excels the old covenant so much that the old, its glory is, is almost like no glory. That's what he said. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. 
I want you to notice what it said. For if that which is done away, the old covenant is done away. The Ten Commandments are done away. It's in the book. Much more of that which remaineth, the new covenant is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, that puts hope in you. We use great plainness of speech. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at the end of that which is abolished. The old covenant is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. You know why most Christians are blind and can't see the goodness of God? They keep on trying to find it through the Old Covenant. And it puts a veil over your eyes. Uh, which veil is done away in Christ. The word veil is italicized. Really what he said in verse 14. Their minds were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which testament is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it or when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. When you turn away from trying to keep a bunch of rules to keep God from being mad. When you turn away from the Ten Commandments and trying to keep those to keep God happy. When you turn away from that and you turn to the finished work of the cross and Jesus Christ, the veil is lifted and you finally can see what you never saw before. You see the goodness, grace, and blessing of God. You see things in that word that you never saw before because you turned away from trying to keep rules to receiving the grace of God and bang, your eyes open. Who all is seeing things in the word you never saw before? That's because the veil is off your eyes. I'm seeing things in there. I thought, dear God, I've read that for 30 years and now I just now saw it. Nevertheless, it shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, the spirit of the covenant. And where the spirit of the Lord is, the ministry of the spirit, the new covenant. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I know some of you all grew up in clothesline churches. That if your sleeves were too short, you had sin in your heart. If your hair is too long, you're going to hell. Tell Samson that. Samson had more power with long hair than short hair. You know, there's some people that would walk into certain churches with a pony with a ponytail. I'll guarantee you they'll give him such a cold shoulder he'll never come back. That's right. That's right. But he might be the next Samson. See, a lot of times we're so busy cutting people's hair that we're robbing them of their power. We've, we've blinded a lot of Samsons in the local church. We've cut their hair and poked their eyes out. See, we got legalistic about their hair and blinded them with the law. Why don't you leave their hair alone and let the Holy Ghost move through them? Because they're the next ones that's going to come in and bring the house down by the anointing. Why? Because they got out of your legalism and let the hair grow back. And they'll do more with long hair and two eyes poked out than you can with the short hair and both your eyes in your head. Some people have eyes and can't see. Others have had eyes poked out and they see Jesus in all of his glory, all of his strength, all of his power. And they're ready to bring the house down and bring deliverance to this generation. But we all with open face, that means that veil's gone, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. 
are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Even as, not by your effort, but by the Spirit of the Lord. You couldn't change yourself if I gave you a million dollars. But you can be changed by the Spirit of the Lord. If you turn away from the law and turn to Jesus, the Spirit of God will transform you. You will be transformed by beholding the Lord. Now notice he said, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Don't look in that Bible to find your blemishes. Jesus doesn't have zits. You ought to be looking into that word to see what you look like in Christ. This is not a book of condemnation. This is a ministry of righteousness. Look in that and you see here's what's going to happen. You're going to look in that and look in the word to see Jesus in all of his glory and beauty. And then all of a sudden, it's your face. And you have been transformed into the same image as Jesus himself. When you see him, you see me. And when you see me, you see him because as he is. What are you talking about? So when you're looking up to the Lord and see Jesus, he's looking down to you and seeing Jesus. You look up and see a conquering son seated in heavenly places. He looks down and sees a conquering son seated in heavenly places. Transformed by beholding. Quit looking at yourself. Look at the Lord. Look at the love of God. Look at the finished work of the cross. And you'll find that you are a son and daughter of God, redeemed, loved, victorious, blessed, and whom God has blessed, no demon in hell, and no man nor no religion can curse. I'm not going to put that veil on my face again. I have turned from law-keeping to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I am redeemed. Thank God Almighty I'm redeemed.